Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Hey, Harvest family. I want to greet you from Dallas, Texas. I arrived here just a little earlier today to begin my annual reunion with a group of pastor friends that I connect with every year that we call ourselves Kadad. And it's a really special time of the year for me where I connect with brothers that I walk with in Christ. And we wrestle through different topics together and we just catch up with one another. And I'm looking forward to a really refreshing week where we tackle some really tough stuff together, uh, but also reinforce and build our friendship in Christ. And so we just arrived and got settled in. We're gonna be beginning tomorrow morning with our first session. Uh, But I wanna take a moment to greet you and share a few brief words with you to help you get ready for what's going to happen at our church next Sunday. I want to talk about what it means to worship God by loving and serving other people, especially our neighbors. Uh, Back in 2014, I received an email advertisement for a a product called the Freble. And the Freble was this weirdly weird-looking device that was connected to the internet And it was used to simulate the feeling of holding someone's hands across a great distance. And the way it worked was that when you squeezed your freble on one end, the other person's freble would compress just a little bit and they would feel that squeeze as they held their own freble. And then they could also squeeze it back and you would feel them squeezing your hand right back. So the the force of the squeeze that each person feels is proportional to the force that the other person is squeezing. And it was meant to give you a long distance ability to feel a handhold. More recently in 2018, I heard about a Kickstarter project called PeriHug. PeriHug is a robotic teddy bear that you can hug on one end. And if your loved one has a PeriHug of their own on the other end, then they will feel that hug as a vibration against their chest. And if both of you are holding your peri-hugs and holding them really tight, you begin to feel the heartbeat of the other person through that teddy bear against your own chest. Now, I don't think either product ever really took off, um, maybe predictably. And I joined many others who questioned the usefulness of a device like this. Many people rolled their eyes and said, does everything have to be connected to the internet? How on earth can a machine possibly simulate the same sensation as a human touch? And so on one level, I, I also raised my eyebrows and wondered about that, but on another deeper level, I really understood the rationale, the motivation behind a device like this. See, when Jeannie and I were dating, I've, I've shared this with you several times, we were long distance for the entirety of our five and a half year courtship. And in those days, uh, phone calls were expensive. We didn't have electronic communication, so we had to write letters. And so, uh, you know, absolutely, uh, we, we took every opportunity to try to connect somehow. But as nice as letters and phone calls were, there were times when you just longed for a more tangible connection to that person. I, I would have given the world just to have a simple holding of the hand or a hug. And I think when you're in love with somebody, when you truly love them and you're separated by a great distance, uh, it is absolutely uh, normal to feel this desire 
to express your love in an embodied way across that distance. Mark 12, 30 says this. This is Jesus when he was once uh, asked what the greatest commandment was. He answered this way, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The greatest command that Jesus gave us was to love God with everything that we have. And it's strange that he would call that a command because love feels like it should be natural, but I think Jesus understood this. All love that is real requires a commitment to express that love, to be intentional about it. But over time, as any real love grows, especially as we spiritually mature and our love for God grows, it's no longer just a command. There is a growing desire to somehow express to God how much we love him, to express to God the things that we feel for him inside. <clears throat> a lot of that love that we feel for God is going to reside in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls. But because we're also embodied creatures, there is a desire to tangibly express our great love for God somehow. The problem is that our God is invisible, so how do we tangibly express our love to God? I mean, wouldn't it be great if we could just give Jesus a physical hug? And there are times, and not always, but there are times in my personal relationship with Jesus where I really wish there was some way for me to do that, to just give him a big hug and let him know that his being in my life, especially when things were hard and I felt his nearness, I just really want to let him know how much that meant to me and somehow express that in the same way that I express my love to my family and to my friends. In Matthew 25, verses 35 to 36, Jesus describes what it will be like when he, as the King of Kings, returns to the world. He says these words, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Jesus is describing a time when he will return, and he will gather the righteous and recognize them for being the righteous ones on the earth. And he will explain to them why their lives were so pleasing to God. And the things that he lists were the ways in which the righteous cared for those who were considered by the world to be the least, those who were needy and powerless and unable to care for themselves. In the next several verses, the righteous who are given this credit are perplexed to receive it because they respond this way. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The righteous are confused because though Jesus is giving them credit for these things, they don't ever recall a time when he was the one that they were doing those things for. They're saying in a way, uh, we did that plenty for all kinds of people who are in need, but we don't ever remember doing that for you. And Jesus responds in a most remarkable way. In verse 40, he says this, And the king will say, 
I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. The king's response reveals an amazing truth. That when we show sacrificial love and kindness and caring to those who are needy and powerless, we're doing those very things for God. In other words, we can tangibly express our love to God by loving those who are needy and powerless. And we can care for God by caring for our neighbors, especially those that we might consider the least, those who don't rank high in any system of measure among human beings. You know, if you recall when Jesus was being arrested and falsely accused and eventually put to death, Peter, his best friend on earth, stood aside and watched. And when he was approached in fear, he denied even knowing who Jesus was. It's a reminder that none of us ever loves perfectly. Any one of us who have ever tried to love another person will eventually let that person down, possibly even betray them because though we want so badly to love, none of us loves perfectly. Peter was especially broken because he and Jesus were so close and the regret that was just eating away at him was tremendous. Seeing Jesus risen from the dead, triggered all kinds of conflicting emotions in Peter. Because on the one hand, he was overjoyed to realize that his friend, his, his Lord, his rabbi, was now alive. He was not dead. But in the very same instant, he was filled with regret and shame because he remembered how much he had betrayed and failed Jesus in those most difficult hours of his life. So Jesus has a reunion with his closest disciples on a beach. He serves them breakfast, opens their eyes, they recognize who he is. And then Jesus pulls Peter aside for a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And that's recorded for us in John chapter 21, verses 15 to 17. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Jesus told him, Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, Son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Peter wanted so badly to restore his relationship with Jesus, to somehow let him know that despite his terrible failure, he still loved Jesus very much. Haven't every one of us been in that position where we failed someone that we actually care about? We really let him down. We hurt them. And yet somewhere in our hearts, there's still this desire to say, I want you to know that my failure 
does not fully paint the picture of how I feel about you. I love you and I wish, it, in spite of my regret and shame, there was some way for me to let you know that I am still here for you, that I care about you. The cadence of that exchange that Peter and Jesus had was very intentional on Jesus' part. Three times, Jesus asked Peter to his face, Peter, do you love me? Each time, Peter replied, yes, I do. But really what Jesus was asking, I believe, was Peter, do you want to show me that you love me? He was giving words to the feelings that Peter had inside because that's what really Peter wanted to know. He wanted, he wanted to prove to or demonstrate to Jesus that he still loved him very much in spite of that failure. And so three times, Peter is given an opportunity to confess how much he loves God. Jesus knew that he would be departing soon to be with the Father. He knew that the time that remained with them together was very short, but Peter's need to express his love towards Jesus would extend far beyond that time that they had left. And so Jesus really shows Peter a kindness by saying, if you really want to show me that you love me, I'm not going to be around that much longer in this form with you. But if you really want to show me that you love me, please take care of the people that I care about. Be my hands and feet. Love them the way I would love them if I were here. Peter, if you really want to show me how much you love me, you'll have many, many chances to do that in the years ahead because these folks will always be with you. And each time you show this love to them, I will receive it as love being shown to me. We asked earlier, how do you show tangible, physical love to a God who's invisible, who feels very far away? And the answer Jesus provides to Peter is the same answer he provides to us. Whenever your heart wants to show Jesus you love him, you can do that in your flesh and blood by loving others who have need and who are powerless to care for themselves in some way. And the remarkable thing is Jesus says, whenever you do that, I will receive it as though you're doing those very things to me. I don't even think that it's a symbolic thing. I truly believe that Jesus inhabits the minds, the hearts, the bodies of those that we're showing this love to, so that in a very real way, he receives it as unto himself. And that's an amazing thought to me, that we can show love physically to God in the way that we care for our neighbors. Next Sunday, we're going to cancel our usual worship format. Uh, and normally we gather and we sing, we pray together, we share news. Uh, I preach, you listen, we reflect. Sometimes we have conversation about it. And then we fellowship for a while and we go home. That's the normal way that we're used to worshiping God. And we've been doing that together every Sunday for three decades. But next Sunday, we're going to cancel that usual format of worship. It doesn't mean we won't be able to worship him. We're just going to learn another way of worshiping God. And we truly believe as the leaders of this church that this is a legitimate form of worshiping God. We just learned that Jesus himself said, if you want to express love to God, what else is worship other than a desire to express love 
to God, to express his worth. And he said, if you want to do that, you can do that by taking care of others. In fact, he said that's how he will explain to the righteous why their lives are so pleasing, is that all the things they did in kindness for others, Jesus received it as if they were doing it unto him. And so next Sunday, we're going to get a chance to practice that kind of worship. In the past, we've had a great time ourselves. Harvest Fest has been a really enjoyable event. But as we have evolved it more and more into an intentional outreach event, this year especially, here's what we're asking is, please come, invite your, your friends and your kids' friends, knowing, trusting that they're going to have a great time. We're going to fill this high school grounds with laughter, and we're going to have a great time. But at the same time, we're going to have a lot of neighbors who don't know us, and we won't know them. They might be feeling a little awkward or uncomfortable, and we have a chance to really show kindness and warmth and love to people who live right here in this community with us. And so I'm going to ask that you not see it as optional, but treat Harvest Fest next Sunday the same as you would treat church, any church service that we have. Next Sunday, Harvest Fest is going to be our church's worship service. If you ever thought about how weird it is that we call it a worship service when it's such a passive experience and we receive and consume, next Sunday might be the most service-oriented worship service you'll ever take part in. And so please be here with us next Sunday. We're going to gather early and set up, and if you can help out with that, make sure you look for that link in email or text message and sign up to take a, a spot and play a role in that. But even if you come just to participate, Come with a mindset that you're going to love and worship Jesus in the way that you treat and greet and welcome and serve all of our neighbors who come. Thanks for listening, tuning in today, and I'm really looking forward to being with you all back in at Hoffman Estates High School next Sunday for Harvest Fest. Bye. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.